Hello and welcome to another city-centric podcast from Centric Lab. We hope you are all well and all healthy out there in the world. For this episode, it is the second of three in our conversations with the Cash Campaign Group. Cash stands for Clean Air for Southall and Hayes, and it is a citizen-led campaign group based in West London. And for those who are not familiar with London, it's a predominantly residential area very close to Heathrow Airport. We've been engaged with the campaign group for around a year now, supporting their work, and we wanted to amplify their story, which is a case of environmental injustice, racism, and social inequality. Their story started in 2017, when neighbours started reporting problems breathing. A putrid gasoline-like smell had invaded the air, causing all sorts of problems to local people. Citizens noticed this happened to coincide with the construction starting on a former gasworks site that had sat behind a row of homes on the edge of the local canal. The site in question is a former gasworks site owned by National Grid PLC, a once nationalised utility company that subsequently followed suit like others similar to it and became a private entity and eventually floating on the London Stock Exchange in 1995. As sites like the one in Southall became redundant due to technological innovations, it weighed up plans for what to do with them. Sites like these are costly to redevelop, but the company was able to benefit from the uplift in land value brought on by the city's housing crisis, and in 2014 established a joint venture with the housing developer Barclay Group called St. William. According to a press release in 2014, launching the venture, it stated that St. William had a proposed portfolio of 33 brownfield sites. The first group of 18 will develop 200 acres of redundant brownfield land and deliver 6.9 million square feet of development, creating approximately 14,000 homes and over 40 acres of open space. Around 20 of these sites are in London in established residential communities. In Southall, the site was first refused planning permission for redevelopment by Ealing and Hillingdon councils over fears and concerns regarding the increase of vehicle-based pollution in dense residential areas, and that the development programme had not taken this into account sufficiently. The scheme was called in by the Mayor of London's office, the Greater London Authority, which was run at the time by no other than Boris Johnson, and permission was granted, overruling local government policy with little regard to the impacts on the local community. From a structural perspective, What has become apparent is that the UK's planning system is not broken in its failure to deliver housing, but to protect citizens. Environmental, social and health impact assessments required on schemes such as this fail to dutifully protect existing residents, considering stresses like these as the price to be paid for living in cities. And despite citizens campaigning for years, nothing has been done to make their lives easier as they breathe in chemicals such as benzene, amnaphthalamine, carcinogenic chemicals that should be nowhere near people and the homes they live in. The planning system's policies over what is safe has been proven to be redundant, unethical and a convenient thing for people to hide behind, as every organisation from the local council's planning offices, to the Public Health England, who set guidance on such matters, to the development organisation have said that the toxins were in safe limits. No one is taking responsibility, yet people are sick, are being hospitalised and living in a perpetual state of stress. A predominantly low-income community of mixed ethnicities are suffering and no one is protecting them. Instead, organisations responsible hide behind outdated policies to enable housing delivery, apparently the most important thing in our society. Now, actually, 
I want you to introduce more about your relationship with cash. Um, Okay, well, as you already mentioned, our relationship with cash, specifically Angela Fonso, started a, a little bit over a year ago on Twitter. We were fresh out of publishing a report on PTSD in urban environments where we had discussed various factors that can cause structural violence and thus trauma on different communities. Um, One of the factors that we identified were communities that were living in identifiable toxins in in their environment and then what ensues. So by identifiable means that there is something sensorially that the community can identify as a new toxin, usually that is driven by a smell. What ends up happening is that the community has the constant feeling of danger, then there's the psychological, sorry, the physiological experience. So the discomfort of the odor itself, the respiratory difficulties, and then the hospitalization. But then there's also the witnessing of neighbors getting sick, their families getting sick, they themselves getting sick, and yet still getting no answer. Then we also have to look at how this causes anxiety and anger as a community begins to be gaslit by authorities. And by authorities, I mean the people that are that are causing the toxins themselves, scientists and environmental agencies who throw their hands up and go, there is no correlation or specifically there is no direct causation between what you are experiencing and the toxins that are in their environment. And so when I saw what was happening um, to Angela and to the cash community, it really sounded like a cookie cutter experience from what we had written and discovered of this community in Louisiana called the Cancer Corridor. So this community for the last 10 years has been gaslit and told that their rising and disproportionate rates of cancer, respiratory problems, and other um, ailments has nothing to do with the fact that they live right next to various toxic industrial plants. And so what do they mean by when they want something um Correlate, uh, correlatory or more specifically a direct link between human and the stru- uh, and the environmental stressor. Usually that takes a longitudinal study or it takes an autopsy to be able to understand the toxicity levels in a person's body and then thus their cause of death. However, biology isn't a input-output mechanism and that becomes very difficult to say with absolute uncertainty that one led to the other. And this is the loophole that various companies around the world hide behind. However, equally, they also cannot hide and tell us for certain that the toxins that they pump out into our system have nothing to do with our poor health. So we need to start moving away from these loopholes and not allowing them and not waiting for this exact evidence when there is plenty of qualitative evidence. And by qualitative means the experiences and the data that is coming from many of these communities who begin to um, create journals or begin to log the experiences that they're having due to the, the toxins. So that is valid evidence. That is scientific evidence. 
um, that we need to start taking into consideration. So this is why we wanted to interview the <clears throat> the community because we wanted you guys to hear what it's like to live at South Hall. What are the experiences that this development has um, has ensued on this community? Um, and also to eradicate this myth that we're only going to move and change policy until we have exact evidence that a toxin is 100% related to a person's death. And at the moment, we have a grandstand trial, or I should say um, legal case, um, that on air pollution. And again, it's the same story, being asked for exact quantitative evidence and completely dismissing the qualitative evidence. So we are going to be speaking to Sufian, who's 19 years old. He is the youngest in the cash group, and he's going to be talking about what it's like to be a young activist, what it's like to live in South Hall, and more importantly, what it has been like for him to experience this and live um, through the the gaslighting and live through the different points of inequities due to the gas works. Um, so Sufian is um, 19 years old. He is probably the youngest activist in the group. And um, I want to start off with um, asking um, you some questions, Sufian. So yes, you are young. Importantly, you are the incoming generation, which is living with a lot of different things, right? You guys are going through COVID. You guys are going through a rise of far-right politics, um, climate change. And now on top of all those factors, you specifically are also dealing with um, environmental injustice. So first, what have, what have, like, from your perspective, what have you been observing? If you could give me three, five points where you're like, this is what I've learned, this is what I'm observing about the system and about my experience, what would that be? So over, over the last two years working with cash, um, especially, um, I've noticed the system doesn't look at who you are as, as a community before putting in planning documents. Especially the fact that um, the gasworks site obviously is known to have chemicals like benzene and naphthalene on it, which are more likely to affect the BAME community um, than any other community. Um, that just shows you that our local authority doesn't care who we are as individuals, and they they just care about more council tax coming in through develop developers building buildings. Yes, they've got housing targets, but they need to care about the community's health first before building on toxic and polluted land. 100%. And can you expand a little bit what you mean by um, they don't look at you as individuals? I you know, 100% agree with what you've said. Um, but how would you, yeah, give me a specific example of that. So, so for example, um, Berkeley's site, a Berkeley Group site, a studio property on there is costing us, um, not us, sorry, I'm um, costing, um, if you want to buy a property there, a studio is 297500 So that's 2000, sorry, 297000 
£500. Now, to the average Southall person, that is a lot of money, as it is to anyone else. And these these properties are marketed in the Far East. Um, a lot of their publicity is very condescending. Why I say that is because if you look at their most, mo most recent marketing video, it is full of white characters in CGI. They've taken the Gudwara out. They've taken certain elements of Southall out. I just watched that video and I rang Angela Alfonso saying, is this Southall? Because I didn't understand the CGI behind it. And me, as obviously I, I do editing um, as a hobby, um, I know CGI, you can add colour. So <laughs> there, was no, there was no reason to have it as a white area. I'm not saying there's anything, oh, obviously, if, if we lived in a place like Enfield and it was predominantly white, then that is correct, a correct a representation of the community. But Southall is 94% ethnic majority. Now that to me is um, a total um, disregard for the local, the local town and the local, obviously the local groups, um, like the Sikh community, the Hindu community, the, the Muslim community, the Christian community, Yes, we have a we have a like a six percent. I think it's six percent or seven percent um, white community in Southall, but um, as I said, ninety four percent is obviously the majority now. There was not many brown faces in that video. I think I spotted one, and I must have watched that video maybe fifteen or twenty times. And even to find that one person, I had to study that video in detail. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, how is this shaping how you think about injustice or how you think about your future, um, again, as a person going through this, seeing this? Yeah, so uh, since, since 2013, sorry, 2016, really, I've been involved in local campaigns regarding racism and environmental injustice. So I worked with other groups before on like campaigning against um, equality of race. Um, and then I worked with the Black Lives Matter movement most recently. Um, and I've worked with Cash, obviously. Um, and all these campaigns have got something in common, which is injustice. Now, me as a person, is that is something I feel quite strongly about because I've been discriminated against um, either for jobs or for um, in school. I was bullied because of my skin colour, even though we are the majority. Um, as Obviously, as a brown person, we are the majority of, obviously, the school's population. I was still bullied for my skin colour, for um, the way I would do things. It was different to people. Like I used to pray at lunchtime rather than being outside on the playground, and people used to bully me for it. So that as, that as, as a 19-year-old, as a has shaped me to be um, a, a more aware of, especially racism and environmental racism, whether that's physical, as um, as the Black Lives Matter movement pushed for the physical sense that when George Floyd got killed, or whether that's as simple as systemic racism, like this is obviously them building um, on a ground which contains naphthalene and benzene, as you guys have studied in the lab. And you know, obviously, um, naphthalene and benzene are two chemicals which 
can affect the brown, uh, uh, Asian, an Asian and a black person more than the average white person. Now, obviously, and there is um, a very high, uh, high percentage of people with asthma in the community. It's around about eighty percent in young people, and it's about sixty percent in adults in Southall. So mm. that just shows you um, that they don't take any of this into regard before building and throwing these pollutants in there. Yeah, so just to um, support your comment about what you said of why Black and Asian communities are more susceptible to to these toxins is not because of something genetic. It is because of the psychosocial stressors and the other environmental stressors that are happening in, in, in that area that Black and Brown people are disproportionately exposed to environmental injustice or environmental racism and therefore, and also other um, deprivation factors that add to the system being in constant stress and constant specifically biological stress. And that's where that susceptibility comes from. Um, okay, and then the final question is, how is this shaping you as a person? Like, how do you, where do you, not where, this is just, it sounds dumb. Where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years time of how this is shaping you? So for example, um, I grew up just soaking in um, the part of the, the, the civil rights movement. Um, I remember being in kindergarten and listening to Martin Luther King's um, speech. Um, that was my first exposure, and I've, I've quote unquote grown up in the movement, and it shaped the work that I do. It shapes the kind of work that I want to do. So, in that same vein, how do you think this is shaping you as a person? Yeah, so it shaped me quite a bit, even over the last three or four years since I've been involved in like racism and. Um, well, anti-racism, sorry, and um, uh, environmental injustice. Uh, now, it it shaped me because before before I got involved in any of these campaigns, I was I was only ever told by um, obviously the wider community that brown people should stick with brown people, white people should stick with white people, and black people should stick with black people. You don't mix. Now, in high school, I had a mixed friendship group. I had blacks, whites, Asians. Um, I had people from all across the world in my friendship group. Now, that that grew me as a person. But where I see myself in five years' time, unfortunately, I see myself out of Southall. I'll be straight with you because the, the council has made it, not only the council, but these developers have made prices go up, house prices, I'm I'm 19. I'll be I'll be 20 in July. Now, I I said to myself when I was 16, I want to be moved out of home. As I was mentioning to um, Joe and Angela um, just before the call, um, obviously I've not been able to do that because the price, the house prices are like extortionate. They're about 300,000 pound, and even to rent, you need. You need obviously you need I think it's about three or four times um, your like you need a whole year's income then you need all these other factors. Yes, that's important, but an average nineteen-year-old doesn't have six thousand pound lying around. I certainly don't now. Um, 
I've I've not been able to move out. I'm saving to move out, but that's still going to take me at least a year or two to actually um, physically move out of my my family home. Okay, and then sorry, I lied. That wasn't your final question. Your final final question is: How do we make cities healthier, equitable, from your viewpoint? Well, risk assessment. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, Berkeley Group, they obviously they've said they've put mitigations in place for the for the ground to be monitored. Yet we've got an eight-year-old girl sleeping in an oxygen tank down the road from the site. We've got people who have died of pneumonia, cancer, um, who we've met. We've met these people and they've died, um, sadly. Um, like a person died of um, of pneumonia um, not so long ago. And um, obviously I never met them personally, but the group has met them. And it's quite, it's quite shocking that you, you hear these stories, but you don't realise that the problem is with these developers. And a lot of people will just say, well, they're just houses. Like I spoke to, I spoke to a couple of 19-year-olds the other day on a Zoom call and I said to them, do you know what's happening across Southall Station? They go, yeah, they're building some really nice penthouses. That's the marketing suite. They thought it was a penthouse for, for um, an average Joey to live in. <laughs> I said to him, that's not a penthouse, that's a marketing suite for a company who will possibly kick you out of your own hometown and possibly kill your loved ones. Because I've lost people to um, close to me um, in South or to this. Um, obviously, we cannot pinpoint it on that, but it's a coincidence that um, our loved ones have like lived here all maybe 30, 40 years since they migrated from wherever. Um, like my family migrated from East Africa in the 70s. They moved up to Bolton, came into Southall in the 80s, the early 80s. So my grandfather's been here for the last 40 odd years, never had any heart, like health problems. Um, he was fit and healthy. He worked all his life. He passed retirement age and he was still working in, until about, about age 67. In his retirement, he's been more at home, obviously, and um, his health's deteriorated. Um, and obviously now seeing my granddad ill is quite, um, it's quite shocking, but I know that if I continue fighting, yes, we obviously, we can't guarantee the site will be shut down and not demolished, but shut down totally, but we can ensure that they have proper mitigations before phase two continues. And that's what we, we press for and we continue pressing for. Awesome. Thank you, Suthian. Um, So let's not leave necessarily just on the doom and gloom, because what often gets dismissed and ignored is that these are communities. These are communities with wonderful stories and happenings and people. Can you guys, each one of you, um, just take two minutes and tell me, how, why does South Hall feel like home? How would you describe it as your home? So why South Hall feels at home? Well, I was born here firstly, but not only that is the sense of community has grown a lot, especially over the COVID pandemic. Um, like before, I'll say before January, um, I never used to check in on my neighbours. My neighbours pretty old um she's in her late 80s um 
I occasionally saw her when obviously she obviously when I used to drop her shopping around and stuff but um, I didn't really have a, a human connection with her now since Covid my whole road has got to know each other um we've become like a close family and sadly um two weeks ago one of my neighbor's dad passed away and obviously we couldn't go around to his house so we organized a zoom call um like this and um we had obviously we paid our respect over zoom because we couldn't go into the house and um it's just it's just such a shame that obviously um covid has not allowed us to see each other but the sense of community has grown and that's that's one thing I want one good thing which I hope continues in Southall the amount like the amount of the amount of people care for each other rather than um sticking to themselves um not being as kind as they should because pre-covid I can't remember a time where I would go into a shop and a shopkeeper would ask me how I'm doing. That that wouldn't, like, I could not have thought of that. But now I'll go to the top of my road to the news agents and my news agents is asking me a thousand questions about my family. <laughs> like, it, like, it's just that connection now, obviously, since COVID's come about, we've gained such a sense of community. And that's why I love Southall. But as I said, um, if these developments continue going up and these house prices rocket, a lot of the youngsters like myself will eventually be pushed out of their homes, not mm. not by choice, but by force. Mm. Like myself, um, as I said, I don't have £300,000 lying around. I wish I did, but I don't. So I won't be able to afford even a studio apartment like on a site like Berkeley Group's. Not that I want to live on Berkeley site, definitely not. But like a site like that um, with um, a media space and um, the facilities um, like they've taken. Obviously, we don't have a cinema in Southall. So that's one thing they're heavily pushing that there's going to be a cinema in Southall. Now, yes, there'll be a cinema in Southall, but are you going to show this tour, the type of films the community watches? I very much doubt we will see screenings of Bollywood films, um, Tamil films, these sort of films, um, our majority of the community watches them. Yes, we watch British films, but like, like for example, my grandmother, she she doesn't know any British films apart from the 1950s films. But um, now um, she watches a lot of Bollywood films. And when we go to the cinema with the family, like I go alone obviously sometimes or with my friends, and obviously I'll go and watch a British film, but normally with my family, we'll have to go and watch a Bollywood film. Now, these these are the factors they've got to weigh in. Like, are they going to cater to the, um, the community's needs? And another thing that they, they're pushing is that their, their facilities, like the shopping centre and stuff like that, their malls and stuff. Now, yes, you've got these malls, but are you going to support the local businesses along the Broadway, which is down the road from your house? Are you going to support um, local businesses on the King Street, which is on the other side of your house? So these are things you need to factor in. So that was our conversation with Sufyan. Um, Arcelli, uh, I want to 
invite you just to give a recap of your thoughts on the conversation with Sufian. Well, what was really striking was the structural racism that Sufian was explaining. So I wanted to go into that a little bit more. So often people confuse racism with discrimination and prejudice. And you might think, well, I can't be racist because I don't show in my personal life any racist views. However, when it comes to structural uh, racism, that's not what is meant. What is meant is what is happening structurally that constantly discriminates and creates a prejudice for Black, Asian, Indigenous, and other people of color. And this in South Hall is the perfect example of that. So I've, I've written down the different places that structural racism has taken part. So number one, in the marketing, what Sufian was saying about a complete erasure of the community, that the community is predominantly people of color. Then it's the pricing, pricing people out. The people in that community are very much working class and they are not going to be able to buy the properties that are on the market thus alienating future generations, specifically someone like Sufian from being able to live in the community that he grew up with. That is also structurally racist. Then it's the design, right? A lot of these are being marketed and designed for a two-person or a family or a small family or an individual. In South Hall, there are multiple generations of people living in one household. There has been no uh, no to even acknowledge of how this community is living. So then there is structural racism even in the design. Then, of course, is what he says about the risk assessment. The risk assessment did not take into consideration the lived experience of the people within the community, the majority people of color in that community, and what that experience plays in their biological ability to sustain that extra burden of the gas works. So you have, like I said, various different points where structural racism is being enacted on, and there is no discussion about that. So in, in our work, that's why we keep saying it, that we have to be anti-racist in the work that we're doing. And that it's specifically for this reason, to constantly check, are we enacting, supporting racist structures or are we not? It is that binary. Thanks, Jelly. I think um, a couple of salient points that stood out to me, um, his line that was, they don't look at us as individuals. And I think that's a huge sense of alienation for people to feel and I don't think this is necessarily a, a directly new thing that people and communities have felt but the problem is it's an ongoing thing and so again an example of if the if the inequity still exists then it's being supported by structures that want to support it if people want to solve problems they solve problems so there's a lot of talking not a lot of walking when it comes to the idea of community support community engagement and community listening. Um, I think one like really positive note that Sufian talked about was that through campaigning, he has seen social barriers break. And it is, a, you know, a positive 
in some senses that he sees this form of collectivism around issues uh, breaking down cultural and social barriers and I think that's just a very powerful thing for for young people to see at that age but in the reverse I think at 19 to be dealing with the full brunt of gentrification alienation and economic exclusion is another form of injustice and whilst I don't want to speak for Sufyan, and he's an incredibly intelligent young man how we've spoken offline in different ways and no doubt that his path and his life is being influenced by what he's going through but he shouldn't be having to spend hours daily working on issues just to have a basic right to breathe clean air because there are plenty of other 19 year olds out there that don't. So I think that's a really salient point that we have to understand that at 19 years old in our cities like this, people are being forced to deal with these issues that really are resolved for older people who have developed different senses of resilience, whether it be economic or social. So we're putting pressures on young minds that are unjust in that way. So if you want to follow up with the campaign, their website is southhallandhayscleanair.org.uk. We will be putting a link to this in the show notes. Please do go support them, whatever way it may be, whether it be through time, whether it be through money, whether it be just through sharing, whether it be signing a petition, whether it be understanding whether you have something in your area that is similar to this. You have a right to know what's going on and a right to campaign and a right for solidarity in this way because it's not right that we have six cities. So thank you very much for your time and we'll speak to you soon.